Dennis read this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus asked the question, everybody's talking, who do you say that I am? It's a question. A number of years ago, I remember pulling up behind a car and saw a bumper sticker that also had a question on it. The question was this, if Jesus is the answer, what is the question? Interesting bumper sticker. If Jesus is the answer, what is the question? Well, last week we started with Sola Scriptura, the Bible and only the Bible as the basis of our faith. Today we come to Solus Christus, Christ and Christ alone as the object of our faith. I'm going to explain a little bit about the world that we live in today. I just came back from a conference down in the Houston area, our Texas district got together, and one of the words that you hear quite often is postmodern. How you and I live in a postmodern society, a postmodern age. Now, I'm going to explain that to you. Very simply, postmodern means that we live in a time when our culture has largely abandoned the notion of truth. Now, back up 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, most Americans shared a common moral code that to a large degree was based upon the teachings and the truth of the Bible. I mean, even people 30, 40, 50 years ago who were not even Christians made most of their moral judgments based on what we would probably call the Judeo-Christian ethic. There was a consensus, again, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, that certain things were right, that certain things were wrong, that some things were permitted in society, some things were not. Now, that shared, con- uh, that shared consensus gave an enormous amount of stability to the culture, and it allowed all kinds of people from diverse backgrounds to live together in peace. Now, today, because we live in this postmodern society, that consensus has almost all but disappeared which is why many Americans today cannot decide how they feel about things like abortion, pornography, adultery, divorce, and gay rights. Now, in the old days, we didn't debate those issues very much because our shared value system told us that it's wrong to kill unborn babies, that adultery is always evil and damaging, that homosexuality is shameful, and that pornography corrupts public morality. In this year, 2011, there's simply no widespread agreement anymore on those issues. You'll have people say, well, that's your opinion. In other words, that's your version of the truth. This is my version of the truth. If the old Trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the new Trinity today is tolerance, diversity, and pluralism. We worship tolerance. Everybody has to be tolerant of everybody else's ideas. We celebrate diversity. Oh, it's wonderful. We can have all sorts of people all included. And we praise pluralism. And i got to tell you, woe to the man or the woman who dares speak against that new trinity. Now, against that 
prevailing moral relativism that we have today, I want you to consider some very exclusive claims regarding Jesus. I think I've got five of them. They're right up there. One of them, he says he is the only Son of God. I mean, you all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It also says that He is the only name. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's the only way. Jesus in John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Through me. That's pretty exclusive. He's the only mediator between God and man. In 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Jesus Christ. Pretty exclusive. He's the only sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 10, verse 12 said, But when the priest had offered for all one sacrifice for sins, he sat down again at the right hand of God. Now, let me say frankly that we have no right to water down any of those statements. Now, you may choose to reject those statements. You may call some of those statements very narrow-minded. You may even pass pass them off and say, Well, what relevance do they have for us today? But the fact of the matter is this, that the Jesus of the Bible is the only exclusive Savior there is. He stands alone, and no one can be compared with him. Now, I'm also going to have to tell you that this flies in the face of contemporary thinking. You would be surprised at how many people would not even begin to accept those things. I mean, to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven... This is nothing short of intellectual suicide in the minds of some people. I mean, if you dare to proclaim what the Bible says about Jesus, you risk being branded an idiot, a fool, a nut job, a Jesus freak. I've been called a few of those, or worse. You know, I've been called a narrow-minded fundamentalist fuddy-duddy. I was tempted to look up fuddy-duddy. Now, if you hold on to those beliefs, go back a, a, a page. You hold on to those. You can be ostracized in the workplace for holding such a narrow view. You can be pigeonholed as some sort of a narrow-minded person. You can be criticized. You can actually be ridiculed for believing this in today's society. But, you know, we have no right to pretend to follow Jesus unless the Jesus we follow is the Jesus of the New Testament. It's precisely his exclusivity that forever separates him from every other religious leader in the world. Now, this may be a shocking statement to you, but I would even say that it would be better, at least it would be more honest, to reject Jesus altogether than to water down any of those statements. Now, in in putting the matter this way, I'm just simply saying that if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, Protestants, if we're going to call ourselves Lutheran, whatever that means, we need to come face to face with the strong Jesus of the New Testament. Jesus is not just one Savior among many. 
I mean, Derek, you're going to understand this. Picking a savior is not like buying a jar of pickles at Albertsons. I mean, you can stand there and say, well, do you want dill or sweet or dill spears or crunchy gherkins? I mean, you, you can't afford to do something like that. Just pick something off a shelf when the matter of your choice is going to determine where your soul spends eternity. Now, i got to tell you, truth is very narrow. I mean, when people say that you're narrow-minded for believing this, well, guess what, folks? Truth is always narrow. The truth about Jesus is always narrow. I mean, two plus two equals four. It never equals five or six or seven. Jesus is either who he says he is in the New Testament or he's not the Son of God and simply some sort of a mythical little g-god like the ones that they had in Greece or Rome. Now, again, I'm going to go back and tell you that if you, if you believe this, some people are going to regard that as the height of intolerance. You're not a very tolerant person when you say he's the only way. But I would answer that intolerance is not always that bad. For example, when I get on an airplane... I wanted to know that the mechanics that checked that out were absolutely intolerant. I don't want a mechanic working on my airplane who says, I don't know, it looks like it could make it one more flight. (laughs) I want a doctor who's absolutely intolerant of cancer and who doesn't mind hurting my feelings in order to save my life. Now, that question of, Who do people say that I am? Peter's the only one who gets the answer right, although I will have to say he's probably the only one who really said anything. He said, you are the Christ. I think in the NIV before it said Messiah, but that's what Messiah, the Mashiach, means. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I'm going to tell you that even to this day, here we are at the tail end of October in the year 2011, there are still people today who have varying opinions of who Jesus is really is. I mean, some people think Jesus is just a really good man. Others consider him a great teacher. I mean, the Muslims believe that. Jesus was a good teacher. Still other people say, well, yeah, we know he lived. He was a historical figure. Uh, Some people call him a mystic, a magic man. Uh, Some people called him just a peasant rabbi. Well, the Bible, at least what Dennis read before, if we're going to trust the Bible, remember Sola Scriptura, then he is the Son of God. But the question, who do you say Jesus is, I can't answer that for you. Every last one of you needs to answer that question. And no one is going to find out the truth about God or about Jesus unless God reveals it to you through the Word. Now, it is that truth that Jesus said is the living foundation of this church. Now, most buildings have a, have a cornerstone somewhere in the building. And Jesus said, you know, on this cornerstone, on this rock. Now, a lot of people say the rock he was talking about was Peter because his name was Cephas, which meant rocky. He wasn't talking about Peter at all. It's upon this rock, this testimony of faith, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that rock, Jesus said, this is what I'm going to build my church. And he meant the church would be built upon people who steadfastly proclaimed the truth, that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. You take that cornerstone out, what happens? The building begins to lean and ultimately collapse. 
Now, next thing. Let's talk about some spiritual counterfeits. We have about four of them I have up here. They're still around today. Let me just very briefly mention. One is Christ plus the church. This is a spiritual counterfeit. Now, you probably go, Christ plus the church? That sounds okay, doesn't it? Well, it's just, this means that there are people who find Jesus simply by joining a church and maintaining membership. They think that it's, you've got to, in order to be saved, it's Jesus plus church membership. And maybe going so far as it's sitting in the same place Sunday after Sunday. You know, and people who say it's Jesus and the church typically are pretty loyal supporters of the church. They, they very seldom miss, but they kind of base their hope on Jesus and the fact that they were members in good standing at St. John's by the gas station in Broken Clutch, Wyoming for so many years. Another one is Christ plus baptism. I mean, many people believe that their salvation depends upon their baptism. And some people go so far as to say, and it's important, who baptized them? But they had to be baptized. You know, in order for me to go to heaven, I've got to believe in Jesus and be baptized by a pastor in a font or a baptistry or in a creek or in a lake or in an ocean. And now, some of you are saying, but hold it, doesn't the Bible say that? I don't think so. The Bible says that he that believes is saved. Baptism follows that. Now, if you're a Christian, would you want to be baptized? Sure. But you could be baptized in the ocean until every fish knew you by the first name. Doesn't necessarily make you a believer. Now, that's a great response. Now, we believe that baptism creates faith in the heart of a little one. That's what our church teaches. But is he that believeth and is baptized. A response. Another one, Christ plus Mary or, I don't know, you name your saint. Now, obviously, we're talking about Catholics because Catholics kind of consciously or unconsciously truly believe that they ultimately find God through the veneration of Mary or with the aid of saints. I mean, for the longest time, you used to see little statues. I can't remember who he was anymore. St. Christopher, I think, or somebody sat in the dashboard of a car. A lot of people have their little St. Christopher medals, and they kind of feel like you can't really get to God except through, you know, you talk to his mom. And the Bible says there's really only one mediator, and it doesn't mention mom. It says Jesus. And, of course, this leads to things like lighting candles for approval or burning incense or making special offerings in the name of a saint. It's not Christ plus Mary and a bunch of saints. Or Christ plus good works of any kind. Now we get a little closer to Lutheranism. I include this as a counterfeit because it covers everyone who trusts in Jesus plus the good stuff that they do to get to heaven. Now, these are the people who know that Jesus must save them, but they also believe that there are a few things they ought to do to help close the deal, so to speak. It's like Jesus can't quite get it over the hump. So we do a few good works to push it into the end zone. Now, against all of those, and there's a whole lot more than that. In fact, I will tell you that Jesus plus anything is dead wrong. It negates the fact of what Jesus did. 
Against this, we have the united testimony of the entire New Testament that salvation is predicated on the simple and single condition of what? Trusting in Jesus and in Him alone as Lord and Savior. And I would emphasize that little phrase, and Him alone, that trips up a lot of people. And Him alone. I think everybody who calls themselves a Christian, Christ follower, understands that Jesus needs to play some part in your salvation. But some part is not the same as trusting in Christ and in Him alone. In fact, those two statements can't even be harmonized. Now, I'm going to give you my definition. I wrote it up there for you. Uh, what, does it, what does this mean? Okay, in, to trust in Jesus means to trust so completely in Him that you are willing to go to hell if Jesus alone cannot save you. Yikes. To trust in Jesus means to trust so completely in him that you are willing to go to hell if Jesus alone cannot save you. I'm just telling you, friends, it's Jesus and Jesus alone or we're not going to heaven. Let me read you something written by Dr. James Boyce. He writes about Solus Christus. He says, Solus Christus means, quote, that Jesus has done it all so that now no merit on part of man, no merit of the saints, no works of ours performed either here or in a place called purgatory can add to the completed saving work. Any attempt to add to it is a perversion of the gospel and indeed no gospel at all. End of quote. Now, if Martin Luther were alive, and standing right next to me today, you know what he would say to that? Amen. Preach it, brother. That's what he would say. Boyce goes on to say something interesting. He said, Jesus is the only prophet we need. We don't need self-proclaimed prophets trotting around in the world today revealing God's Word to us. Jesus is the priest we need. We don't need other priests to somehow mediate between us and God. Jesus is the king we need. We don't need other kings or popes or pastors to control our thinking or to control our living. We don't need any evangelical gurus or cult leaders. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Christ is all. He's preeminent. He has the first place. And there's no number two. Now, see, we're all hung up on that because those of you who watch college football like I do, when number one gets beat... We just bump up number two. And we're always worried about the top ten or the BCS standings. Well, in the, in the true standings, Jesus is number one and there is no two through twenty-five. It says, thou shalt have no other gods, period. Well, what does this mean for us today? Let's take some, some um, contemporary things, well, a few of them. Here's number one. We may come directly to Christ without any human mediators. I mean, that's clearly what Luther was arguing about in the Reformation. To this day, a lot of people kind of instinctively doubt that they can do it on their own. And I think that's why a lot of people come to pastors or other religious leaders to help them. And I'm not telling you that spiritual leaders don't serve a purpose. But no spiritual leader can ever say, you need to come to God through me. At Angola prison, sometimes I argue that they need to guard the gate a little bit better. I'm not talking about prisoners escaping. I'm talking about some of the people they let in to teach. Because a number of years ago, one of the inmates sent me something and said, Doc, what do you think of this? 
And I read, only had to read the first paragraph to know what I thought about it because it said, friends, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to believe what your pastor says. All you need to do is sign up for my newsletter and listen to what I have to say. It's at that point I'm dialing 1-800-WARDEN-KANE. And I'm saying, you've got to guard the gate. This guy should not be allowed back in. He was telling people that the only way to really know who Jesus really is is through what he teaches. Dangerous stuff. The most a pastor can really do is what? Point. Point people to Jesus. That's your job, I mean, that's job description for a pastor. Point people to Jesus. But pointing people to Jesus is a whole lot different from claiming to be the mediator to God's grace. Here's the second thing. When Christ died on the cross, he completed the work of our salvation. Quiz question. What did Jesus say when he died, right before he died? Three words. It is finished. Okay, you know that, John 19, 30. It is finished. That three-word phrase, it is finished, is only one word in the Greek language. The Greek word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Archaeologists have found that word on scraps of first century paper that appeared to be shopping lists that ladies evidently took to the market. And when a purchase was completed, uh, the seller would write tetelestai on that shopping list, which meant paid in full. So when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, he paid the Full price, he did not make a down payment on your salvation that you somehow had to kick in a few bucks to earn. Jesus says, Tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. His death paid for the sins of the entire world, past, present, future. Third one, saving faith is nothing less than the total reliance on Christ alone, wholly apart from human works or human effort of any kind. See, we trust in Jesus. We trust in Jesus alone. And that trust must not be partial, but it's total trust. See, in leaning on the Lord, how's that old hymn go? Nothing in my hands I bring. That how it goes? Simply to the cross I cling. No good works. I don't care how, how good your good works are. I mean, some of you may someday win the Nobel Peace Prize. Maybe you win the Congressional Medal of Honor. You might get toasted, roasted, honored, praised, welcomed, serenaded, or whatever for all the wonderful things you've done in life. But none of that matters in the eyes of the Almighty. If you want to get his attention, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I put my trust in the crucified Son. Here's number four. When Christ saves us, we are completely saved and eternally saved. See, salvation doesn't depend on us. In fact, it's entirely outside of us. And since we are depending wholly on Jesus, we can rest forever that those whom God saves, he saves forever. Why? Well, what do we know about God? God is never going to change. God isn't going to say, John, I sent my son to save you. Oh, maybe I've changed my mind. No, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He who calls us, the Bible says, is faithful, and he will do what? He will 
finish the work of salvation that he has begun. When God saves, it's done. Complete. Eternal. Here's number five. We must preach Christ and not self-improvement, because apart from Christ, there is no hope of salvation. Now, here's a really, I think, an important insight. Apart from God, apart from God, there is no basis for any words like self-esteem or self-importance or any other self-word, self-improvement. I mean, to speak about being a better husband or a better father or mother or to teach people how to build large incomes or how to overcome bad habits or how to be a better parent, to do that without first leading or pointing them to Jesus is kind of like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, what's the point of helping people be more successful as they read rush headlong into an eternity without God? I read this not long ago. I said, uh, there's far too many people in the church today who have a hand grenade faith. Hand grenade faith. Remember, remember that it says what? It, I was close, but it only counts in what? Hand grenades and what? Horseshoes. Well, a hand grenade faith is this. They think close enough is good enough. Wrong. Most everyone believes in Jesus a little bit. I mean, that is, they believe in Jesus plus something else. But when you scratch under the surface, they don't believe in Jesus alone as their only hope of salvation. So I'll tell you that to believe in him 95% is still to be 100% lost. Let me just share with you, in closing, five words that will take you all the way to heaven. There they are. Jesus only, and only Jesus. Those five words, well, there's your ticket. Don't have to fly standby. Don't have to pay extra for baggage. That'll take you all the way to heaven. I want to go back to the bumper sticker I mentioned at the beginning. If Jesus is the answer... What is the question? Okay. We're going to, I don't know what's that game where you have, they give you a question, you've got to come up with the answer. Jeopardy? Is that what that is? Okay. I want you to practice the answer. Okay. Jesus is the answer on three. One, two, three. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. You can respond. How can I find God? How can I find peace? Who can forgive my sins? Who can give me a whole new life? Who can open heaven's door for me? How can I get rid of all of my guilt, shame, and embarrassment? Who can save a worthless sinner like me? Who can put my broken life all back together again? There you go. If Jesus is the answer, what's the question? I mean, Jesus is the answer to the deepest questions of life. I don't know what questions you may have, but Jesus is the answer, is the answer. If you want your questions answered, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to be absolutely, positively, 100% sure that you're going to heaven, what are those five words? Jesus only, and only Jesus.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us into your family. Sometimes we get that human feeling that we can help to get that job done, that we contribute not a whole lot, but just a little. But we need to be reminded that we don't have any part. It is purely 100% you. It's Jesus only and only Jesus. Christ alone. He's the answer to every question in life. He even answers the questions when we wonder about someone's health. Jesus, the healer, is the answer. When we wonder about people who've wandered away from the faith, what can be done? Jesus is the answer. Only Jesus and Jesus only. Father, we pray that you continue to surround this family of faith and remind us, Lord, that it is by Scripture alone, by Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. We pray it in Jesus, who made it all possible. Amen. We're going to sing the Lord's Prayer this morning. You notice we've sung this a number of times. The words and the music for this song are on the back of your service folder. So let's stand and join together as we sing the Lord's Prayer.